W-H-H-H-F-M Indianapolis. It's Indie Speaks. Your Life Matters. Hosted by Cameron Riddle. Good morning, Indianapolis. I'm Cameron Riddle, and this is Indie Speaks. It's Sunday morning. And it's feeling kind of tropical out there. Hope you had a great weekend. We've got a jam-packed show for you again this morning. Our continuing coverage of House Bill 1019. And that is where lawmakers here in Indiana want to withhold police video from public and the media. That means those videos that show the death of Laquan McDonald in Chicago or similar scenes in Ohio would never have been shown here in Indiana. And we've got to talk about that because that is a problem with public records. Dave Arlen, the executive director from the Indiana Broadcasters Association, calls in. We'll break it all down in just a moment. Plus, we are now hours away from the Iowa caucuses and the beginning of the presidential campaign for 2016. Veteran reporter and Iowa native Payne Horning calls in to get you caught up with everything you need to know ahead of Election Day tomorrow. We'll do all that and more coming up, but first, let's get you caught up on today's top stories. It's been a violent weekend in Indianapolis after five people have been shot in four different shootings since late Saturday night, one of them including two 18-year-old men. The first shooting happened on the 600 block of Temple Avenue around 8.30 Saturday. A 29-year-old male was transported to the hospital in serious condition. The second shooting happened just after 1 a.m. Saturday. IMPD officers responded to a shooting on the 1,000 block of Winfield Avenue, this time on the city's west side. That's where they found two 18-year-old men who appeared on the scene. One of them was shot in the hand and the other in the abdomen. Both are now in good and serious condition. The third shooting happened in the 4600 block of Edwarden Circle, this time on the northwest side, where a woman flagged down officers in the Abington apartment complex. She told them she and a man were in the car when a vehicle pulled up behind them and started firing shots. The fourth shooting happened on the near east side of Indianapolis on State Avenue around 4 a.m. There, IMPD says a 21-year-old was shot in the leg. He was transported to the hospital in good condition. The Pike Township School Board voted and accepted the penalties from the IHSAA following a brawl during a basketball game between the Pike High School girls team and the team from Ben Davis. The IHSAA canceled the rest of the season for both teams, suspending them from postseason play, and the teams were also put on probation for next season. And in the forecast, a 60% chance for rain, but overall, still a beautiful day in the Circle City. Today's high, 57 degrees. Right now, it is 45 degrees in Indy. And joining me now on the Indy Speaks Live line this morning is Dave Arland. He is the executive director for the Indiana Association of Broadcasters. And they have been very active these past couple of weeks with House Bill 1019, making sure we in the media knew about this. That was the first time that I had heard about it when they sent it out. And this morning, they are continuing that effort to raise awareness, to let everyone in the state know that there is a bill going through that could have some serious impact on both you and I. And we need to be paying attention. Dave, good morning. Good morning, Cameron. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for calling in. Uh, you guys were the first ones that I saw this from. You sent out a press release to all the uh, media outlets around the state. 
uh, alerting everyone to say, hey, look at this. This is going on and it's going to go quickly and you're not going to hear a lot about it. And that is exactly what has happened so far. Uh, House Bill 1019, which would give police departments the discretion uh, to withhold or release uh, police video uh, is a bill that has now gone through Indiana's House of Representatives and now has one more stop through the Senate. And before the, uh, before going to Indiana Governor Mike Pence's desk and becoming law, all this happening very quickly. And a lot of people are uh, asking, why is this the first time I've heard about this? Well, it's a good question. Um, you know, this is a very tender issue, I think, as citizens in general. And I think most police would support the idea of, of more visibility as to how difficult it is to be a protector of public safety and uh, it is a trend across the country we're seeing more and more of it where police departments are buying the equipment necessary to have body cameras obviously police cruisers have been equipped with cameras for some time there is an issue however of storing that video and what happens uh, when somebody wants to see it and so a, um, a member of the legislature from the eastern part of Indiana, a former law enforcement official, introduced this bill, House Bill 1019. It's a 22-page document, and it's pretty long. And in it, it literally gives discretion, as you said, to the local law enforcement folks about whether or not they're going to release video. Um, they can say no. And then the only recourse, if you're a member of the public or you're a media outlet, is to sue, to file a lawsuit, to go through the expense of doing that, to ask a judge to release the video. And it just throws the default, in our opinion, way too far to one side. Mm -hmm. This is a, a public record, in our opinion. It is the public that's paying for those cameras, paying for storage of that video. And it really ought to be the default the other way. I mean, it ought to be available to the public to see and to uh, have a copy of. If a particular piece of video needs to be protected for investigation, uh, investigative reasons, okay. I mean, I think the, the we, we'd be open to having that kind of discussion. But this particular bill, which again is only a proposal at this point, although one moving pretty quickly, would really tilt the uh, the whole discussion entirely in one direction, and we just think that's inappropriate. Uh, we'd like it to have a public uh, debate and discussion. After all, it is our money being used here to record these incidents. And honestly, uh, you know, body camera video and police cruiser video may be capturing things that we need to know uh, from a very positive standpoint. It is not easy to be a police officer, and I'm sure that there will be things captured by these cameras that uh, it would be eye-opening for all of us to see, not to mention uh, the rare times when there are issues that come up where police uh, perhaps are, are acting inappropriately. Obviously, that's what people focus on. Uh, but hiding that information we don't think is, is uh, appropriate, and it's the public's right to know that's at peril here. Dave, a lot of people might be wondering, what's the big deal if police have the discretion to release that video? They're going to release it at, at the request of police, right? And the answer to that is, in a lot of places, likely not. Uh, what we saw in Chicago with the shooting of Laquan McDonald were Chicago police officers who shot him 17 times. That video uh, was not released to the public uh, for, I believe, it was almost two years. And the only reason that it ever uh, was released to the public was because a journalist 
worked tirelessly and made several attempts time and time again with the Chicago Police Department to get that video released to find out what really happened. And that video uh, was released after the mayor of Chicago, Rahm Emanuel, um, agreed to allow it to be released. But the issue is, why did it take two years to find out what happened that night when the answer was on video and in police possession the entire time? Well, yeah, and I think that uh, that's one of the things we're concerned about. Again, that is an extreme incident, but mm-hmm. that is one that uh, if it happens, as members of the public, I think we have a right to, to see and to, uh, to see for our own eyes exactly what happened there. Our concern here is that, as written, House Bill uh, 1019-1019 really tilts everything way too far to one side. And let's use an example. Let's say there's an unfortunate incident where a police officer shoots someone and the family is concerned about that. They want to have a copy of that video. Well, under this bill, as, uh, let's say, the parents of of a young man who was shot wouldn't be able to keep a copy of that video. They'd be able to watch it. But they wouldn't be able to keep a copy of it. And I think the fear is that a family would release it publicly. So uh, this is a hot-button issue, I think, in terms of public access. Uh, No one wants to be anti-police. I think, uh, again, law enforcement has a tough job to do. And I can appreciate how legislators in particular don't want to come off as anti-police. And this entire bill is being promoted as something very pro-law enforcement. Uh, we're, we support the police, but we think there ought to be a, a discussion about it and a, a, a balance to this issue because, again, it's the public's money being used to buy the cameras. It's the public's money being used for the storage of that. And in our view, this is no different than any public record. If you wanted Cameron to get a, a document from the uh, city county council, you could go down to the city county building, and there's a process involved. You might have to pay a copying fee to get it copied. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a public record is a public record in the state of Indiana. Uh, and there has been some discussion about, well, look, it's going to be expensive. You know, think about all the requests that are going to come in, and we, can't, we don't have the budget, the police say, to, uh, to do this. Okay, well, let's have a discussion about that. Let's talk about fair and reasonable terms for getting copies of videos. And I think media outlets in particular would be willing to bear the brunt of those costs in the interest of the public's right to know. But uh, just to lock it up and to say, no, you got to sue to get it, and then if you lose, you don't have any way to recover your attorney's fees. Um, that really, again, in our view, tilts things way too far to one side. Would, could you explain a little bit of that process of the way it is written now? There, will, you know, you have to sue to get that video, and that's not something um, that is resolved overnight. Um, and even as a media organization, the process that we would have to go through um, is lengthy, just as if it, you know, we were an, an individual person asking for that video. And you also mentioned the cost. Uh, a station out in New York is now going through uh, a suit with a police police station in the state uh, where they wanted a, a series of police video and the police department gave it to them, but for an extreme uh, cost amount. Yeah, well, you know, this has to be uh, talked about and, and figured. I think the, the implementation of police uh, body cameras is perhaps a bit ahead of public policy 
and a bit ahead of the law in terms of you know what's appropriate in this instance. We do have some departments in the state of Indiana that today are wearing police body cameras, and they're making recordings of things. You know, let me raise another issue that, that some people who are promoting this bill have brought up. They said, look, this is not only a police, uh, a positive uh, bill for the police, it's also a way to protect the victims. And if we release video to you, then, you know, there may be minors who are underage who are captured on this video. There may be people who are innocent uh, who are captured. Okay, well, that's a legitimate point, but no one has yet had the discussion of, look, th those faces could be pixelated. Mm -hmm. They could be blurred out. Mm -hmm. Anybody who watches uh, TV news, uh, and that's all of us, you know, it's common for certain things to be blurred out if, if there's a question about whether or not that's a minor. Uh, this technology is available. TV stations across Indiana would be happy to work with law enforcement to show them how to do that, to tell them what kind of equipment they would need. Uh, we're willing to, to do that to help uh, if it means that we have more access to these public records. And at the end of the day, I think that's the bright line that we think this legislation crosses. It puts under wraps uh, all of this video, it really leaves it entirely at the discretion of the local police chief, of the local sheriff, um, and frankly, that, that just goes too far. Uh, we're, we're, we want to promote more cameras available for people uh, to see. We think that's a good thing, uh, but going all the way down this one direction, particularly in this time, think about what's happened in Chicago, think about what's happened in Ohio, think about what's happening all over the country. Now is not the time to give total discretion for the release of these public records uh, on one side of the equation. So we are certainly advocating that people, A, be aware of this, and B, there is something that you can do. If you're listening to the show this morning and you think, I want to I take an action, what you should do is you should go online and send an email to your state legislator. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, Cameron, this is moving from the House to the Senate. hasn't yet been assigned to a committee in the Senate, uh, but it will be, and it will be something discussed. We're in a short session for this year. Uh, all that means is things are moving very quickly. There's a lot of issues out there in the state legislature that I'm sure people have heard about. This is just one of them. And so I, I would encourage you, if you're listening and you're concerned about it, look up who your state senator is and let them know that uh, House Bill 1019 is bad policy for Indiana. Uh, Dave, I want you to hang on for just a second because before I let you go, we've got to take a commercial break. But I also want to hear uh, this is an unusual thing for a lot of the media organizations across the state to come together to try and actively raise awareness uh, in more of a movement style than in our reporting alone. And if you could just touch on that, why we're seeing such a loud outcry um, and then we will uh, continue that conversation in just a moment also if you'd like to call in and you have a question about this bill house bill 1019 you can do so by dialing 239-9696 right now 239-9696 this is indy speaks i'm cameron riddle and we are live on hot 96.3 This is your boy Ricky Smiley, and you're listening to Indie Speaks with Cameron Riddle on Hot 96.3. And we're back live. Good morning to you. I'm Cameron Riddle, 
And this is Indy Speaks. It's a beautiful Sunday morning out there, 45 degrees in the Circle City. Today's high, 57. We're continuing that conversation this morning about House Bill 1019 with Dave Arlen from the Indiana Broadcasters Association. And Dave, before we were going to break, you were just hinting at how people can contact uh, their legislator to let them know, hey, we don't want this thing. Yeah, and, you know, it's easy to look at this process, Cameron, and say, well, this thing's hardwired, right? It's just going to sail through the state legislature, and the governor will sign it, and that'll be the end of it. But I think uh, we are still a democracy. We're still a a state that uh, has a representative government. And actually, believe it or not, emails are very effective way. Our our emails and calls are very effective ways to reach out to legislators and let them know you're concerned about it. So what you should do is go online and Google uh, Indiana legislators, Indiana legislature, and find out uh, there's a there's a website the state runs where you can actually put in your address. You can see uh, your district. You can call up your representative and your senator, and you can write from the uh, computer, send them an email. And that is really something uh, that I encourage people to do, to say that House Bill 1019 goes too far and that it ought not to be put through as it is currently written, and there ought to be a broader discussion about it. If you do nothing else than that, I think uh, that will be helpful. It is moving to the state Senate, so I would encourage folks to look up their state senator. Um, it didn't pass unanimously, in, thankfully, in the mm-hmm. House, although it did pass. It came out of committee 16 to 0, which I'll have to admit we were a little surprised about how quickly that thing moved. It got onto the floor of the House. We have been talking about this for a couple of weeks, and uh, there were uh, most of the minority party uh, voted against it, uh, or all of the minority party, as well as some uh, Republicans uh, voted against it. But it did pass uh, basically 60 to 40 uh, in in that range. And so now it goes on to the Senate. And uh, if you're concerned about it, drop a line to your senator, place a call, let them know. Uh, because we think this issue is one that deserves attention. It will serve nobody's interest, in our opinion, to keep all of this material at the discretion of law, local law enforcement, uh, to keep it under wraps. It's just going to raise concerns and questions. And we think, frankly, uh, something like this is urgent that people know about what's going on and there, that there be a process. If there is a situation where police video needs to be seen, that the public can see for themselves exactly what happened. And Dave, I think that may be part of the reason why we are uh, seeing a, a stance from Indiana's media outlets and, uh, and and editors because this bill is uh, seems to be on an express route straight to the governor's desk right now. It's got one more stop, as you said, in the Senate before being signed into law. Um, and it's something that we normally don't see is our, our media outlets coming together collectively to raise awareness about a piece of legislation. Uh, but we are seeing that with House Bill 1019, and I believe part of that is because of the speed that it is happening and also that it becomes a public records thing that makes it harder for journalists to be able to tell the truth and tell the viewing public uh, what actually is happening uh, in the interactions with our police departments. That's right. Look, Cameron, it's our job as, as journalists and members of the media to present as many of the facts as we can and let, and then let the public make a, a decision in their own minds about what they think is uh, what they see. 
you know, it's not our role to, to paint things a certain uh, direction unless it's clearly marked as an editorial comment. Mm -hmm. And we just are fighting for the right for the public to see the very things it's paying for. I think you're right. There has been an upswell of support and interest in this, not only from broadcasters. Our association represents over 300 radio stations and TV stations throughout the Hoosier State, but also the Hoosier State Press Association, which represents newspapers and magazines. They have been very concerned about this and have been uh, uh, issuing alerts to their members about it. Um, and I think it is one of those rare instances where we're all on the same side. I mean, you have radio competitors in Indianapolis. Uh, our television stations are, are competing against each other locally. But, you know, I, whether you're in Fort Wayne or Lafayette or Evansville or uh, Brownsburg or Indianapolis or Greenfield, it doesn't matter. I mean, uh, journalists everywhere are concerned about this. And, and I think we're seeing members of the public also concerned about it. Uh, but... You know, the other thing to say is there's a lot on the plate over there at the state legislature mm -hmm. this year. There's mm -hmm. the LGBT uh, rights issues. There's uh, road funding. There's innumerable issues that have that have come up. Maybe uh, hundreds of bills that have been filed, and House Bill 1019 is just one of them. So we're trying to do our best to beat the drum and let people know about it. And if you're concerned about it, please take a moment today, drop a line to your state senator let him or her know that this is something that needs more discussion. It shouldn't just sail through the way it's written today. Well, Dave, I appreciate you calling in uh, and helping to raise awareness for this topic again, because as you said, uh, this is something that is happening very quickly in a short session with a lot of things going on, and it needs a lot of the attention that it has not gotten. Thank you again so much for calling in live. I appreciate it. It's uh, my great pleasure. I hope you'll keep talking about it. This is an important issue for all of us here in the Hoosier State. We will. Thanks again, Dave. Have a great one. And still to come this morning on the show, we'll begin doing our continuing coverage of not only this topic, but it is now the official start of the 2016 presidential campaign. The caucuses in Iowa begin tomorrow. They are the first ones to cast their vote for a presidential candidate. We'll get you caught up on what everything you need to know before it is your turn to vote right here in Indiana. It's all coming up after this break. I'm Cameron Riddle. This is Indy Speaks on Hot 96.3. This is Congressman Andre Carson, and you're listening to Indy Speaks with my man Cameron Riddle on Hot 96. Good morning to you, and welcome back to Indy Speaks. I'm Cameron Riddle, and on this half hour, we are getting you prepared for the presidential election. It officially begins tomorrow. This is where the first people across the nation will cast their votes Ahead of the 2016 presidential election, we here in Indiana won't be doing that until May, but we still got to get you prepared and informed for what is about to happen. So everything that you've been hearing over the past couple of months, these different debates and the Donald Trump's and the Chris Christie's and the back and forth and the yelling and the debating, all of that leads up to 
tomorrow where we will find out who really is the front runner to take over 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue there in Washington, D.C. And to help us understand everything that is going on is a former Indiana politics reporter from the State House and also a good friend of mine. I kind of taught the guy everything he knows. His name is Payne Horning and he's a political reporter and he just so happens to also be from Iowa. So, Payne, good morning. Good morning, Cameron, and I, I guess I have to take issue with the idea that you taught me everything I know since, wasn't I your news director? <laughs> well, 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 Payne, you may have been, but, uh, you know, I, I'll have to give you a little, a few pointers on, on how to be a journalist a little bit later. Yeah, uh, why don't you do that later? <laughs> I, I, I will. Thanks, Payne. Uh, you've, uh, you've been following this uh pretty closely over the past uh, couple weeks, as you always do, very passionate about uh, the political scene, being from Iowa, and tomorrow your state is in the spotlight. Explain how that is. Well, Cameron, to be honest, I've been following since March of 2015, which is when all of the buzz started, and later in that month, when Ted Cruz, the Republican candidate, uh, the senator from Texas, uh, and initially jumped into the race and started this domino effect of candidates jumping in. Uh, every year, it seems to get earlier and earlier. But the road to the White House starts with the Iowa caucuses, first in the nation, and it's a very big issue in the country. Who goes first, and why should that state lead the nation? As you know, Iowa does caucuses and New Hampshire and most other states do primaries. And here's the primary difference between the two methods. So with the Iowa caucuses, essentially you have a neighborhood meeting. You have different precincts just like when you vote and you join your neighbors at a designated time and you show up and there's a process that begins where it's about political persuasion. Whereas with primaries, when you go, it's just like you're voting on any municipal election or presidential election. You go, you cast your ballot in silence, in secret, and that's it. But the Iowa caucuses are unique. It's an old, traditional form where you talk with your neighbors about who you're going to vote for. And it's different, too, Cameron, between the Republicans and the Democrats. So let's break it down. The Republicans are a little bit you know, more traditional in how they uh, do their caucuses. And this is the uh, scene that I've seen twice in my lifetime and voted in once. Uh, I'm now an independent journalist, but just wanted to throw that out there. So they get together and there are speeches on behalf of all the candidates. Sometimes if you're in a big enough city like Des Moines or a big enough precinct, there will be an official spokesperson from Iowa's Trump campaign or Iowa's Bernie Sanders campaign. Uh, they'll give a speech, um, and then every candidate is represented. Everybody gets a chance, you know, two minutes to pitch their candidate and why they think it's best. And then at your individual tables, you have a small discussion, and then ultimately you write your candidate on a ballot, and it's collected, and the results are announced. Democrats are different. It's a little unique, Cameron. So what happens is you go into a large room, no tables, and there are corners, and you have a picture of Hillary in one corner, a picture of Bernie Sanders in another, and then Martin O'Malley uh, in the third. And remember, Martin O'Malley is still running in this race. <laughs> Just barely. Just barely. And, and that's important to note, too, because in the Iowa Democratic caucuses, what's going to happen is everybody gets in this major 
area. They're all, you know, grouped together. They start talking about who is best, and then they are assigned to their individual corners. And that goes based on who they want to support. And if a candidate doesn't reach 15% of those people who are present in that precinct, they're not considered viable, and they get wiped away. So it's like elimination of the weak, uh, of the weakest. And we know that's going to happen in most places for Martin O'Malley, okay? So this is a two-horse race between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. The question, Cameron, will be, where do Iowa's Martin O'Malley fans, even in the minority, go? Because a Des Moines Register poll just released uh, over the weekend finds that Clinton is ahead of Sanders by three points. So if Martin O'Malley's people represent three points, they could really decide the difference in the Iowa caucuses between Sanders and Clinton. Now, Payne, uh, as I said, this is the most important part of the uh, presidential campaign so far, because this is the first time we'll actually get an official vote of people uh, going to cast for a particular political candidate before it's the polls, which are done by phone call or people call and ask you for your opinion. But this is the the first big one. Uh, talk about from an Iowa standpoint uh, for people there, how seriously they take this. Oh, it's a big deal in Iowa. And everybody always complains, why does the Hawkeye State get to go first? And it's a major point of contention because Iowa is about 92% white. And just in full discretion, I am too. So there are a lot of white people in Iowa. And also, it's a different kind of class. Our biggest city, Des Moines, if you count you know, the areas surrounding the actual city, it's about 700,000. And that's the biggest city and our capital in the state. So Iowa is not that big, 3 million and change total. So, you know, people find it's not representative. But the idea here is that candidates for president start stumping in Iowa as soon as they announce their intention to run. So we've had all of these candidates blanketing the state since last March. And of course, you know, the Iowa State Fair, which I attended this last year, was ripe with candidates. Every day during the heightened period of the actual state fair, you had candidates, Chris Christie, I saw Bobby Jindal, the Democratic um, uh, Party leader, Debbie Wasserman Schultz from Florida. And so every day they give their speeches. But more importantly than that, Cameron, what's considered a very ritual and important part of campaigning for president in Iowa is visiting all 99 counties, which means you're going to see these people several times. And the last person to visit all 99 counties before this election was Rick Santorum somebody who was polling where Martin O'Malley is right now. And he won the Iowa caucuses. And that catapulted him as the conservative voice and, uh, you know, counterpart to Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney ultimately won, but still, Iowa plays an important part. And the reason is these people see these candidates not once, not twice, but three to six times. They come out and they listen to their speeches, and it's a big deal. You you talk with your neighbors about who is best way before you get to the caucuses. And that's why it's so important is that Iowa's, Iowans are very involved from the get-go. Another important part of this entire thing are, of course, the uh, Republican and Democratic 
debates um, ahead of the first ballots. And the last one was the, a few days ago on the 28th on Fox News. Uh, and it was Donald Trumpless um, after he and the network had a bit of a fallout there. And he was not present at Thursday's debate yet and still. It still is extremely important uh, for people in Iowa who want to get that very final impression of Donald Trump. Let's play a clip real quick of a bit of a uh, it's a montage of some of the best moments from Thursday's Republican debate without Donald Trump. Let's address the elephant not in the room tonight. I'm a maniac and everyone on this stage is stupid, fat, and ugly. And Ben, you're a terrible surgeon. (laughs) Now that we've gotten the Donald Trump portion out of the way. (laughs) Let's begin by being clear what this campaign is about. It's not about Donald Trump. He's an entertaining guy. He's the greatest show on earth. I kind of miss Donald Trump. He was a little teddy bear to me. I will gladly confess that I'm the only one on this stage with no political title. If you guys say, ask one more mean question, I may have to leave the stage. Don't worry, I'm not leaving the stage no matter what you ask me. If I am elected president, we will repeal every word of Obamacare. And this is why you need to send someone from outside of Washington to Washington. I feel like I need a Washington English dictionary converter. You were co-sponsoring legislation to create a path to citizenship. In your words, amnesty. Haven't you already proven that you cannot be trusted on this issue? He led the charge to finally fix this immigration problem that has existed now for us, as Marco says, for 30 years. And then he cut and run because it wasn't popular amongst uh, amongst conservatives, I guess. That is the book where you changed your position on immigration. Because you used to support a path to citizenship. So did you. Now you want to trump Trump on immigration. But you can't. we're not going to beat Hillary Clinton with someone who's willing to say or do anything to win an election. I like Marco. He's very charming. He's very smooth. The days for the Clintons in public housing are over. And uh, that was... Uh a uh, wrap-up of the debate from this past Thursday, the final Republican debate before the Iowa caucuses uh, this week. Payne, a lot of different things that were talked about in the debate. What are some of the big things that are going to actually have an impact? Some of the big topics we've got, uh, whether Ted Cruz is born, if he's an actual an American or if he is Canadian. You've got Donald Trump and then he's got too much money. You've got Jeb Bush on the end who's just trying to hang on there. What are the big issues at the end of the day that are actually going to make a difference? That's a good question, Cameron. And you talked about Donald Trump not showing up at the debate. The question is, will that hurt him? And the last person to do that before the Iowa caucuses in a Republican presidential debate to skip out was Ronald Reagan when he went on to win the nomination. So is it a big deal or is it not? Some people say that Ted Cruz being the, you know, second runner-up front runner since Trump was gone took the most heat, and he did have a rough night, which is unusual for him. I think that that's important because... Ted Cruz, just in the past month, has kind of inched up on Donald Trump and overtaken him at several different points. Iowa has a lot of evangelical voters, very religious, and religious, uh, their religions uh, are an important part of their overall equation for who to support. And let me tell you, Ted Cruz, 
is a Bible-thumping <laughs> uh, evangelical. He aligns with them. In fact, he announced his intention to run for the presidency at Liberty University in the South, which is, um, you know, a Baptist school. And so, you know, Cruz aligns with those Iowa evangelicals. Trump, even though he says, you know, he, he's a Christian or uh, believes in God, he's just, it's not a big part of his persona. And so the question is, will those Iowa evangelicals, you know, show up at a better rate than Trump supporters? And Trump is bringing in a lot of new people. So will they know how to caucus, and will they actually be willing to do more than just pick up the phone and say, yes, I support Donald Trump? And candidate, or Cameron, it's important to mention that in 2008, the Republicans in Iowa chose Mike Huckabee, who's also in this race, but this was the first time he ran. And he was a big evangelical, a former pastor. So history favors Ted Cruz here. But Ted Cruz has said that he doesn't support a subsidy for ethanol. And ethanol uh, is a big deal in Iowa, you know, gasoline made with corn. It's a big deal for our farmers. Payne, I want you to hang on to that thought for just a second. We've got to take a quick break. And we'll we'll continue this conversation. And on the other side, I want to talk about some comments that Governor Chris Christie made in regards to the recent superstorm of snow that hit the East Coast and Ohio Valley. Uh, We'll talk about that in just a moment. But first, we've got to pay some bills. You're listening to Indy Speaks. I'm Cameron Riddle, and we are talking to Payne Horning this morning on Hot 96.3. Join the conversation and let your voice be heard by dialing in and calling 239-9696. Now back to Indie Speaks, Your Life Matters with Cameron Rich. Nap time, this is your boy Ricky Smiley, and you're getting your news right from Cameron Riddle. And be sure to wake up tomorrow morning to the Ricky Smiley Morning Show from 6 to 10 on Hot 96.3. And we're back live to you this morning. I'm Cameron Riddle, and on the phone with me on the Indy Speaks Live line is Payne Horning, a political reporter who has been covering all of the presidential politics. And, of course, we have the Iowa caucuses tomorrow. Payne, with just days, well, days are done, and now we're just literally down to hours. Yeah, it's tomorrow. Yeah, until the first uh, vote is cast. Uh, I want to play this clip of New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. Uh, He made some interesting comments, as he always does. Oh, yeah. um, With his response when someone asking about um, help going uh, following the uh, recent uh, massive snowstorm that hit the area. Let me play a clip of that. Ben, you're a terrible surgeon. (laughs) Take two. <laughs> there we go. Hi, so I actually went to school in New Jersey, have a lot of friends. Bless you. Where in New Jersey? Pennington. All right. Pennington School. Yes, ma'am. Um, so I actually had a quick question. With all, a lot of family in there and friends still living there, they had me ask you, why are you here in New Hampshire campaigning instead of there helping, serving the the damages done by the coastal floodings from the storm? Well, because it's already done. It's already done. Okay. Well, well tell me why you think it isn't. What I mean, would you, I would, have friends, family calling, sending me where? videos, pictures, yeah. all over the state. All over the flooding. state. All over the state, really? There's been one county that's flooded in the state. One county. That was Cape May County. 
It's the one county that flooded. So I don't know where from all over the state, since we have 21 counties, where that's happened. Um, <laughs> second, um, I don't know what you expect me to do. You want me to go down there with a mop? Um, <laughs> uh, that's New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, ladies and gentlemen, in uh, in character, as he normally is. And, you know, Chris Christie is a rather large man, and it seemed like he really intimidated that girl who just simply had asked a question and she was like okay so Payne on the national stage how does that look you know Cameron his response doesn't look you know as bad as does his actions this is the second time that a storm has actually hampered Chris Christie's presidential ambitions remember Sandy when President Obama came to New Jersey because the devastation was so bad and they shook hands and you know they were working together and playing along despite being from different parties and republicans have actually chastised him for that not just those like in our backyard cameron but also elected leaders have said oh you got cozy with obama you know sometimes politics doesn't take precedent but in this case it clearly did Mm -hmm. Instead of helping clean up New Jersey, which was hit more by floods than it was snow, he went on the campaign trail. And the reason being, Cam, is as Trump and Cruz battle it out in Iowa, latest poll finds Trump ahead by three points. In New Hampshire, an even bigger race is taking place. And that's for the mantle of second place, if you can believe it, because Donald Trump has such a big lead. But second place in New Hampshire is likely going to be unless Cruz wins Iowa, the establishment frontrunner. And that's, you know, uh, Senator Florida Marco Rubio, uh, John Kasich of Ohio, and Chris Christie and Jeb Bush. Mm -hmm. And so Christie is putting all of his chips on New Hampshire. And so some people in that state may question his judgment as he leaves New Hampshire, or New Jersey, rather, to go campaign in New Hampshire. Now, now Payne, as, as entertaining as the Republicans are, especially with Chris Christie saying that he wants to kick Barack Obama out of the White House, well, you can't kick a man out when he's going to leave anyway. I don't think he, you don't make that call here, bud. Uh, but as entertaining as they have been, we got to uh, give a little bit of attention to uh, the Democrats who are running in this race, a much smaller race. Uh, there are three people in it, but right now it's only a two-horse race, really, between uh, Senator and uh, former Secretary of State uh, Hillary Clinton and Senator Bernie Sanders. Uh, and, of course, Martin O'Malley thrown in there uh, in the end. Uh, Payne, give us your analysis. we got about three minutes left of what's happening on the Democratic side. As much as people complain about Iowa not being accurate in modern era, I mean, we didn't choose Bill Clinton in 92 when he went on to win the whole thing. We are much better with Democrats than we are with Republicans. We chose Al Gore in 2000, John Kerry in 2004, and Barack Obama in 2008. Why is that important? John Kerry and Barack Obama in 04 and 08 were not the front runners run, uh, leading into Iowa. We catapulted them. Uh, we, I didn't vote in that, but y you get the point. Iowans catapulted them to the front runner status, and they went on to win the nomination. Of course, President Obama went on to win the whole race, but... The idea here is someone who seems unrealistic, like Bernie Sanders, who's been, you know, a self-identified socialist, he could have a real shot. And if he wins Iowa, he's ahead in New Hampshire, Cameron, and that would be a big handicap for Hillary. Now, that, Payne, said, that said, Hillary Clinton has leads 
in latest polls in Nevada and South Carolina, which come next. And they could be a firewall for her. And, and Payne, the, another part of that firewall could be more emails released. Uh, some that are now being retroactively classified as top secret. They were not top secret when she had them on her private server that everyone's making a big fuss about calling her a criminal. Um, but now with uh, with Iowa literally tomorrow and everything starting to heat up, Hillary Clinton's got this. Uh, she's going to be attacked from the le- from every direction from the Republican side. Now, how do you explain that? <laughs> well, you know, that question is very much so unresolved. You know, what did she know? And did, were they classified as top secret at the time that they were on her email server? Or is it just after the fact? And, you know, will she be indicted? That's the ultimate question. We just don't know right now. And so Iowans could weigh in on this decision before prosecutors can. And also, Cameron, in a January Des Moines Register poll, 43% of Democratic caucus goers identified as socialist. So Bernie Sanders, with this could be the perfect storm for him to take over as the front runner in this race. All right, Payne, well, we've got a minute to go here on the show. Who's going to come out clean and on top tomorrow in the Iowa caucuses? I can't believe I'm going to say this, but if Bernie Sanders' followers come out, I think Bernie could have the edge, but it's going to be narrow. And uh, on the Republican side? The latest polls show that Donald Trump has overtaken the lead in Iowa and nationally, but Iowa, with their evangelicals, that's cruise land, Cameron, I think. (laughs) that they have a better chance at showing up at the polls, or the caucuses rather, than do Donald Trump's new supporters. So I give it to Cruz, and once again, it's going to be narrow. All right, Payne Horning, political reporter and Iowa native, thank you for calling in to the Indy Speaks Live line this morning. You done all right, kid. You seem to have learned a few things that I've taught you over the years. Very good. Well, you had nothing to do with it. Thanks, Cam. <laughs> all right, we will be back same time, same station next Sunday morning, beginning live at 7 a.m. Ricky Smiley, right here tomorrow, beginning at 6 a.m. until 10. And as always, we are online all the time at IndieHipHop.com. I'll see you next Sunday, live at 7.